Good morning, Cross Point. That was a little weak. Good morning, Cross Point. Thank you, that's much better. One of the reasons I love working uh, the door on Sunday morning is I find it exciting just to see families coming across the parking lot from every direction, streaming in the building. And I have a picture here of one family that uh, <laughs> saw coming. I think it's exciting. Here's a mama with her three uh, little ones. Doesn't look like she's headed for the church, but she made a turn there and came back on around. So young and old, all species, I guess, come here to church on Sunday morning. It's, it's exciting. Um, Back a couple of months ago when I agreed to come and be your pastor for this season, I was booked and had been. Three years ago, I had a camp, a camp meeting, a mini Beulah camp down in southern Pennsylvania. Colin asked me if I would come and speak there. Well, then two months ago when I agreed to come here, I didn't feel like I could cancel. And I was to be here for two and then go down there for two and then come back. I'm to be there tonight at seven o'clock and I'm driving. Well, obviously I'm not going to make it. I asked if I could be excused for this first Sunday night, but I do start tomorrow morning at nine o'clock speaking at that camp and it's about 13 hours drive. So I'm going to leave right after church and well, fly as much as you can fly in an old Camry and drive to, to uh, Pennsylvania. So I'll not be here this next Sunday, but I am excited, as you heard announced, that Tim Guptel is coming back and will be preaching on that day. Uh, I, I know you've all had this experience. Someone says, pray for me, and you say yes, and then days or weeks later, you hear about, you're reminded, and you go, didn't, okay? So I'm not going to ask you to pray for me as I travel and as I speak down there, uh, 11 times over the next six days, morning and evening, here's what I'm going to ask you. If when my name comes before your mind's eye, then would you pray? That's an easy. Would you do that? For, just show me your hand. You say, as, when I'm reminded, I will breathe a prayer for you. Thank you. Much appreciated. This is week three of uh, the sermon series that you saw announced on the screen, Groundwork, Finding Your Biblical Foundation. And so what we're doing really is going back to the, to the basics, going back to what the scripture says about the most fundamental things that we hold as Christ followers, basic truths. I guess we could say the ABCs of our faith, and this is the third week. If you're wondering why, why Pastor John, the ABCs, I think it's because I think some of you are DEF. <laughs> Never mind. I thought that was uh, pretty good. You know, it's, it's discouraging to write things into your sermon that you think are, that's good humor. People will like that. And, and then to get a response like that is absolutely discouraging. But it's, it's okay. I'll let it go. Today, I'd like to pose this question and answer it with you. How can I reserve a place among the saints who go marching in. Father, would you speak to us today about this most fundamental of all issues? And help us, Father, as we dialogue with those out there, some of them not very far out there, in our own families, people we know and love well, live next door to, 
everyone who has all kinds of ideas about the answer to this question. Help us to see your answer and make sure we make that reservation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are you familiar with the song, goes like this, Oh, when the saints go marching in, you can join me anytime. Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. That's all we're going to sing. This is a sermon, not a concert. <laughs> that gospel song, and perhaps you know this, was inspired by the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation speaks of that great and final day, the day when we will all stand before our maker. And here is what it says. It's on the screen. And again this morning, uh, I will read nine, you read ten. Are you ready? After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? These white-robed ones are the saints who go marching in, and I plan to be in that number. Don't you? Nod at me if you plan to be in that number. I want one of those robes. My question this morning is, do you have one reserved? Can a person be certain that they'll get one? Now, I offer this sermon to you this morning for three reasons, and the first reason would be this. All of us need to be reminded from time to time about the way. I hope this fundamental truth reminds those of you who have already reserved a robe, I hope it strikes in you a chord of response that at the end of this message makes you want to say, what a, what a great God we serve. The second reason I would offer this sermon this morning is that we all talk to folk on the fringes of the church. They may be people who used to attend church but have given it up. They may be people who make an occasional visit. Maybe they're among the C&E crowd, the Christmas and Easter crowd. And among those people, we get all sorts of of opinions today about how to get a white robe. But the third reason I offer this message today is that no doubt in a crowd this size here at Crosspoint this morning, there would be some here, someone here who has yet to reserve a white robe. So for these moments together this morning, let me draw up this sermon as if we were posing a question. How can I get a white robe? And 
We won't dialogue, but I'll set it up like a dialogue, but you're not allowed to be involved in this one at least. How can I be sure I will march in with the saints? Well, first of all this morning, some say, some out there would say, and maybe some in here would say, you can reserve one of those white robes this way through, through suffering or tragic circumstances. That would earn you a white robe. It's a sure ticket to heaven. Years ago, when my wife Willowan was in the public school system as a teacher, she had a fellow teacher say to her one day with determination in her voice, almost daring Willowan to make a response to this, if anyone ever gets to heaven, my mother will. She spoke those, the circumstances, the daughter had been spending day after day, week after week with her dying mother, dying and suffering terribly with dreaded cancer. Now, the logic of this daughter is obvious to it all, to us all, isn't it? Her logic is good. It goes like this. Life has been unfair to my mother. Justice should be done for my mother. And if God is who he said he is, righteous and just, then he should get it right. My mother got a raw deal here. God will surely make it up to her there. A good God... Her logic is, and this is logical, think with me, a good God should and would make it up to those who suffer by rewarding them with a white robe. That's fair, isn't it? Alzheimer's robs a senior of her quality of life, and yet she lingers on for years, not knowing anyone or anybody. A teen walking home from school is struck and killed by a drunk driver. A young parent suffers a brain aneurysm and dies suddenly, leaving three young children. Now, come on. All of us, when we hear things like that, we instinctively feel, this is not fair. Justice should be done here. God should make this right. A white robe on that great and final day is only just. What do you think? And doesn't tradition tell us that 11 of the 12 original disciples died a martyr's death? And isn't church history stained red with the blood of those who were killed for their faith? They earned a white robe, did they not? And a place in line with those saints who go marching in, don't you think? But... Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 39 makes it very clear when it says they, speaking of a whole list of martyrs early in, earlier in Hebrews 11, and the disciples says this, they received God's approval because of their faith. More about faith later. It wasn't to make it up to them. They didn't get a white robe because of their suffering in this life. It was their faith. That's what got them the white robe. So suffering and tragic circumstances in this life is no guarantee that one will receive a white robe. Let's move to number two. Others think they will get a white robe because, and they say simply, they say it this way, I believe in God. I mean, doesn't the book say and probably the most famous of all the verses in Scripture goes like this. Everyone who, what's the word? 
John 3, 16, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I fess up to you today, that is exactly what it says. But hear me this morning, loved ones. Something tragic has happened in our day to the word believe. The word believe today has been diluted. It has been stripped of its original meaning. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder about myself in my teaching, in my preaching, in my private conversations, while trying to keep it simple, have I watered it down at times? Are we giving people the impression that to get a white robe, there is a minimum requirement that will ensure that you get one? Did you know that Jesus never once used this phrase? If you're going to follow me, all you have to do is. He never ever one time put it like that. Actually, when Jesus spelled out what believe meant, the Bible tells us that many left him and followed no more. Believe, well, Pastor John, does believe mean that we agree that certain Certain things in scripture that certain things are true, yes. But hear me this morning, that is only where believe begins. James chapter 2 verse 19 addresses this same issue. Look what James says. You believe, you believe, James writes, that there's one God. You believe in God, he's saying. Well, good, even the demons believe that. And they shudder in terror. They believe the demons of hell believe in God. And yet I assure you today that their robes are hellish black. Believe. To define what the word believe means, you really can't define believe unless you use words like repentance, commitment, obedience. Now maybe someone here is thinking, Uh, Pastor John, aren't you adding to the word believe? No, I'm just telling you what the word believe means. So saying or believing in God simply will not earn someone a white robe. Here's number three. Some people would say, I am a religious person. So many people today see religious duty as the means of ensuring that they will be there when the saints go marching in. They think, they believe. If I perform some ritual, if I simply repeat the Lord's Prayer, if I attend a religious service, if I join a church, if I receive Holy Communion, if I help out with the kids' ministry, if I join a work team, if I support missions work in Haiti or wherever, maybe if I take a Bible class. Listen to me this morning. They're all good things. All the things I just listed have their value They're biblical, and the church has practiced these things for years, but none will get you a white robe. So many people are depending on some religious act or ritual to put them in right standing before God and earn a white robe. But notice Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Some of the most sobering words, I believe, in all the scripture says this. Not all people who sound religious, are really godly. Not everyone, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will 
of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus is saying in this passage that there will be people on that great and final day who will say, Lord, I was religious, I went to church, I worked in the nursery, I was, I was dedicated, I was confirmed, I taught others. And Jesus will respond, I never knew you. There is no white robe reserved for you. So can we say then, religion, practicing religion is not the way? We certainly can say that. And then there are those who would say this, number four. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. It's a dry sermon. <laughs> to moisten it up a little bit. I don't need to tell you that for the past 20 or so years, longer than that, the winds of political correctness are blowing across our culture, insisting on religious tolerance. And under that theme, they say that every belief, every teaching, every philosophy, every doctrine must be accepted as valid. Now, hear my words. Now, of course, I stand here before you today, and I hope you agree with me on this. Every person has a right to believe whatever they will. They have that right. I'm glad we live in a country where every person has the right to say, this is what I believe, and say it out loud. To believe what they will is a right. But listen to me this morning. Does it make any sense, really, to say that it doesn't matter what you believe? You see, this popular philosophy goes like this. Life is, is like a wheel. And we're all out here on the edge of the wheel. And in the center is the hub. That would be God. We're out here. And as, as you leave the circumference of the wheel and travel towards the hub, it does not matter which spoke you choose, which one you follow, because no matter which spoke you choose, no matter what you choose to believe, all spokes lead to God. All beliefs are valid. The, the fallacy of this thinking seems to escape many today. Now, you dialogue with people who say these things, so I'm asking you to think with me today. It, it matters what you believe and who you put your trust in. Oh, my, does it matter? Yes, it matters. Now, listen to me now. Willow Ann reminds me, don't say that so often. Don't tell people to listen to you. They are listening to you. But you need to remember that when I was a young man, I was a junior high school people, and no one listened to me. So I'm assuming that maybe you drift off from time to time, probably in error, I'm sure. But listen to me. <laughs> Supposing I go to the hospital, and I put a stethoscope around my neck, and I find a pair of those green fatigues, and I put those on. And I, and I look like, and I talk like, and I act like as I stroll around the hospital, just like a brain surgeon. surgeon. And I even learn to write on those little prescription strips, uh, slips, so that no one could possibly even read it. I mean, I look like the real thing. Here's my question for you. Would you put your trust in me to operate on you to repair a brain aneurysm? Well, I would hope not. 
hear me this morning. It, it very much matters who you put your trust in. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And yet you hear that out there so very often. But then, down through the corridors of time, echo the words of Jesus Christ who said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then, loved ones, this morning, far and, far and away, the most popular belief about getting a white robe, about making heaven one day, is this. Here it is. I'm a good person. By far and away, the most popular. They say that people who would hold this belief, here's what they believe. On that great and final day, God's going to say, all right, all you lawbreakers, you liars, you cheaters, you adulterers, all you criminals, unrepentant as you are, you spouse beaters, you all, all you over here on my left, and over here on my right, all you blood donors, you good neighbors and supporters of the food bank and missions and worthy causes, all of you over here on the right, in our age of biblical illiteracy, there are many people, and some of them sitting in our churches, that think that the essence, that the core truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. People get a white robe because they are good and do good. That is the single most popular but wrong idea that people have out there about Christianity. People can earn a white robe by being good, doing good. This idea that you can earn your way to heaven by being good is supported constantly, constantly, and has been for decades and decades, maybe especially so by the entertainment media who has the attention of so many in our culture. I was channel surfing on Friday evening I do that a lot. I try to maintain control of that channel changer in our house. You see, I'm not interested in what's on TV. I'm interested in what else is on. And so I just kind of surf around. Anyway, I stopped on a movie called Joe Black. Maybe some of you have seen that movie back there. Brad Pitt plays the angel of death in that movie. And so he comes to take William Parrish. William Parrish is depicted throughout the movie as a good and honest, upright, moral man, played by Anthony Hopkins. And as they come down to the time when it's time to depart, says Hopkins' character to death, should I be afraid? And the answer comes back quickly this way. Not a man like you. Implying what? It's being good that counts. I'm not saying we who follow Jesus Christ should not be good. It should be a constant characteristic of our lives to become more and more Christ-like. But being good isn't what counts, and being good won't do it for you. Look at these next verses. Paul is really feeling intent about this, to, to emphasize the way he does. Now, I've only given you a fraction, but here's Romans 3.10, 11, and 12. No one is good. No one in all the world is innocent. That's twice he said it. 
No one has ever really followed God's paths. Three times he said it. Or even truly wanted to. Four times. Everyone has turned away. Five times. And all have gone wrong. That's six. No one anywhere has kept on doing right. That's seven. Not one. Eight times in three verses he's making the point. Goodness won't do it for you. No one has ever been good enough. Ever. To earn a white robe, no one ever will be good enough to earn a white robe. Well, if you've been listening to my logic this morning, maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor John, if enduring suffering and tragedy in this life won't do it, and if believing in God won't reserve me a robe, and if being religion, religious won't do it, and if being sincere doesn't earn God's favor... And if I can't ever be good enough, how can I possibly get a place in line when the saints go marching in? Suppose all of us present here this morning in the 9 o'clock, and I could talk all of those who will come at 11 o'clock to join us, and we all gather at Henry Park this afternoon. I think it's still called Henry Park, isn't it? Corner of Gibson and Union, you know, down there where the boat launch is. So we all, I convince all of you, come on down. And we're going to meet there at 3 o'clock. And the plan is we're going to swim, all of us, to Bermuda. <laughs> well, you know the way. It's not difficult. We're going to go down the river under the Princess Margaret Bridge, down past Majorville. We'll pass Oromonto, Gemseg, Evandale, on down, on down, by the Long Reach, make the turn at the Nerepis River and go in through the reversing falls. Once we get out into the Bay of Fundy, we're almost without obstacle, except for the water gets warm, maybe the odd shark. Shouldn't be a great problem for us. And we're all going to do that. So I convince you to join me. And we all wade in down at Henry Park and we start swimming. Now I'm a couple of hundred feet out and I look ahead of me and I see there's some of you that are better swimmers than me and you're going strong. But then I take a look behind me and some of you are only 50 feet out from the landing and you're struggling and I realize that some of these poor people behind me, they're not going to make it. And then it strikes me, oh my Bermuda is almost 2,000 kilometers. And then I, it dawns on me, I'm not going to make it. And then it occurs to me that most of us, most of us aren't even going to make it past the Princess Margaret Bridge. And the best swimmer, the best cross point swimmer that'll be in the building today, you suppose might get as far as Jim said, but Bermuda get serious Pastor John no one is that good this I'm thinking as I'm swimming down the river of Princess Margaret Bridge just ahead and I'm beginning to sink and all of a sudden I realize there's no hope I'm lost and then an amazing thing I 
I hear a voice. And the voice says, John, take my hand. Stop trying and take my hand. Admit that you can't do it on your own. Take my hand. Just trust me. And I take the hand. And I am saved. Now hear me this morning. If you're going to march in with the saints on that great and final day, on the authority of God's word, I declare to you your only hope, your only hope is to take the offered hand of Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for folks floundering on the seas of life. How can I reserve a place in line when the saints go marching in? How can I get a white robe? And just so you can be certain, these aren't my words. I'm lift, these are right in scripture, Romans 3. Here it is. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way. Though not new really, for the Old Testament told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept and acquit us and declare us not guilty. Here it is. If we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. Take the hand. That's what it means to take the hand. Oh God, I can never make it. I'm lost. Please forgive me. I trust Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on and says, and we can all be saved in this same way. We can all get a white robe in the same way by coming to Christ no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. So let me ask you this morning. Have you taken the hand? Have you? Let's pray. Father, there's one or two or three or maybe more here today that have never taken the hand. They've been around the fringes of the church and around the fringes of the faith, but have never reached and taken the hand and say, today I trust. I put my hand in the hand, your hand. Today I trust Jesus Christ to take away all of my sins and reserve a white robe for me. I want to be there on that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand with me as we worship together.